Y'all grab your Bible and turn to the book of Romans chapter 8. going to read this morning from Romans chapter 8 beginning in verse 18. We're going to read to verse 28. I need you to really think about what this is saying this morning because this, I truly believe that this passage right here is one of the most crucial points for a Christian person to learn very early in their life. If they do not learn this passage and what it means very early in their life, I believe many Christians' faith fail. Many Christians' faith begins to waver in, in, in lack of understanding, in lack of knowledge. And I believe that if, if we had a better understanding of what this passage says, there would be more Christians that could stand strong in the toughest storm they have ever seen. Romans chapter 8, beginning in verse 18. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which, key words here, shall be revealed in us. Let me say that one more time. For I consider that the sufferings of this present world are not even worthy to be on a level of comparison of the glory which shall be revealed in us on that day. Verse 19. And here's why. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope? Because the creation itself also will be delivered from bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. Not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves groan within ourselves eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. For we were saved in this hope, but hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, then we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses or in our sufferings, for we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. You ever been in a trial, in a tri tribulation, in a suffering in your life, and, and, and the only thing you knew to do was just get down and cry? There ain't even words to, 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 to say. It's just, it's just groaning. And he says, The Spirit Himself helps in these times, for we don't know what we should pray as we ought, but the Spirit Himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he makes intercession for the saints. And here's the key. According to the will of God. But then in verse 28 we see God's purpose behind all of the suffering. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to His purpose. 
or his will. You may be seated. This morning I, I ask for your attention for just a few hours maybe. I'll try to back that off as much as I can. <laughs> I'm really serious. But um, I'm going to split this into two messages. So if I end this thing kind of funny today, don't think nothing about it. You've got to come back next week to get the rest of it. <laughs> you think that's a catch, don't you? I don't work that way, brother. My message today, where does sickness, where does disease, where does cancer, where does heart attacks, where does lupus, where, where does arthritis, where does mental suffering, where does sorrow, where does pain, and all other manner of suffering, where does these sufferings and trials originate from? Where do they come from? That's the question I want to answer this morning. And the reason we need to answer that question is because, as I said before, I've seen too many Christians that get in the midst of a tough, tough trial. And it's too much. They lay down. They start shaking the fist at God to say, why have you done what you've done as if He is their enemy and not their friend? I truly believe when Paul was talking about in this, patris, in this passage of sufferings, I truly believe that he was talking about sickness and death. And you say, well, why am I bringing that message this morning? Well, number one, because it was on my heart. Number two, it was confirmed by another brother sitting in a pew this morning that preached it to me just ten minutes ago in about five minutes. It's going to take me two hours. He preached it in five minutes. Over the last few weeks, we have seen several, several loved ones pass away. We have uh, seen several, several diagnoses of, of cancer and, and other diseases and illnesses. And it just seemed like, you know, my brother talked to me earlier. He said, it just seemed like it's just been all at one time here recently. So much sickness, so much sorrow, so much suffering. And I asked the question, where is it from? Where is it from? What is its purpose? Why is it here? And I found my answer right here in Romans chapter 8, verses 18. I'm going to read verse 18 through 23. First off, he said, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. First things first. Any suffering that you have in this life, no matter how tough it is, if you know Jesus Christ... First and foremost, it's not even worthy to be compared with the glory that He has waiting for you. That's the first thing you need to know and realize this morning, is that the glory that He has waiting for you, not you don't have the fullness of it yet, you have a first fruit of it, we're going to get there here in a minute, but the full redemption, the full glory that He has waiting for you is such a glorious thing that it's not even worthy to be compared with any tribulation you have to endure down here. Lose every limb on your body to where you have nothing else left but the head and the torso. That's it. And it is still not worthy to be compared with the glory that will be revealed in us on that day. Let me show you just a few things. He goes on in verse 19. He says, For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. 
Tell me, what is creation? What, what could you put in the category of God's creation here on this earth? Huh? Is there anything you could eliminate from God's creation? No. He created it. It is either a byproduct of His creation, but ultimately it all came from Him. The Bible tells us that nothing is that was not from Him. Nothing. So first off, He says that creation, all of creation, eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. Here's what all of creation is waiting for. The birds, the bees, the trees, everything that is out there. It eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. It's waiting on the day that the glory is revealed in us. And it is just groaning. It says in verse 20, here's why it's eagerly waiting. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly. The word subjection, it being subjected, it means that it was placed under. Creation was placed under futility. That word futility means uselessness. A curse of decay. A curse of rotting. Creation was placed under this thing. And then he says, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it. And here's the key words, in hope. The Bible tells us right here that all of creation was placed under a curse of futility. Anybody remember when this happened? Long time ago in the Garden of Eden, a man named Adam and a woman named Eve took of a forbidden fruit that they were not supposed to partake of by command of God. When they partook of this fruit, their eyes were opened, they were sinners, and they had fallen from the glory of God in which they were. When this took place, this was the moment that God decided, I have to do something in order to make this thing right. He says, there is no hope outside of me, first and foremost. And now that they are in sin condition, they cannot be one with me because I can have no part of that. So I have to do something that causes them to come to me and seek after new life. And then I can provide them a way to be with me once again. So God makes a decision and He says, Adam, here's what I have to do. Cursed is the ground for your sake. Cursed is the ground from your sake. From now on, when you labor in it, it's going to be through sweat. It's going to be through tears. From now on, when you toil in it, it's going to bring forth thorns and thistles for you. Does this sound like happy times? This ain't happy days. From now on, even your body is going to decay and is going to be cursed because it comes from the dust of the earth and from the dust it came, guess what's going to happen? To the dust it shall return. All of creation was cursed. But who cursed it? I asked the question, where do all these sufferings come from? Because we have a false perception that God has nothing to do with it. Now y'all stay with me this morning because I'm fixing to lose some of you right here. Cancer is from God. Heart attacks are from God. Arthritis is from God. All the ailments and sicknesses that you have, yes, they are from God. Now granted, He may use the hand of Satan to deliver them, but they are from 
God. Make no mistake, because if they're not from God, then God is not sovereign, and he is a helpless God sitting up on his throne, helpless to do anything but watch Satan do whatever he wants to do. I don't believe in that God. I believe in a sovereign God. I believe in a God that is in absolute full control at all times. Nothing happens that he don't know about. Nothing gets by him by mistake or by surprise. No, God is sitting on his throne and he gives permission for this to take place or not take place. So ultimately, every bit of it is from the hand of God. But it is not without purpose. He has purpose behind it. But God placed the creation under futility or under this curse of corruption, of decay, and he done it, those two key words, in hope. God placed all of creation under this curse in hope. Hope of what? What was he hoping for whenever he placed this thing? Hoping that by making this world not perfect any longer, that they would not hang on to this world and die in their sins, but that they would recognize that the sufferings of this world have, there is no hope in this world. God has to put you in a place in your life to where there is absolutely no hope. There cannot be any hope in this world. If you have any hope in this present day, God can't do nothing with you. But if you will recognize in your life that there is absolutely no hope in this world, that it is corrupt, it is sinful, it is a terrible world, and then you turn yourself to God and you place all your faith and trust in Him to deliver you from it, then God can save you. He subjected it to futility in hope. God placed this world under the curse that it is in. The reason your body ages, the reason you grow old, the reason you get sick is because God made it that way. He wasn't doing it to punish Adam. He doesn't do it to punish you. He didn't send Job through the trials Job went through to punish Job. No, it was for purpose. It was for reason. The only thing God asked Job to do is, Job, just trust me. Trust that I am for you. I am for your good. I am not evil towards you in any way, form, or fashion. My next question that I ask if God placed it under a curse in hope, and once we find Jesus, we've been saved, right? So why is the curse not removed right then? Why is it that when I come to Christ that this body no longer decays anymore? I mean, His purpose has been accomplished, right? We've been delivered. We've been saved. Why is it that now is not the time? Why do I have to continue in this suffering, in this trial? I know Jesus as my Savior. I have my hope placed in Him and not in this world. And I answered the question from the book of 1 Corinthians chapter 15. If you'll turn with me this morning. 1 Corinthians 15 beginning in verse 50. And here is why the curse remains until the world has ended. The curse will remain until your body returns to the dust. The curse will remain until this world is over. The curse will remain. Now, yes, there will be healings. There will be things take place, but not always. And I'll prove that to you in just a minute. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 50. Thank you. This is what it reads. Now this I say, brethren... 
that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does corruption inherit incorruption. Let me say that one more time. Now this I say, brethren, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God. In other words, first and foremost, this body must continue to die because it is not possible for this body to inherit the kingdom of God. It must return to the dust. It is corrupted. And then he says in verse 51, Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed. In a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible, and we shall be changed. For this corruptible must put on incorruption, and this mortal must put on immortality. So when this corruptible has put on incorruption and this mortal has put on immortality, then shall be brought to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. He said the reason that this body cannot continue on and go straight into the kingdom of the heaven is because the curse remains on this body. This body is not what God is trying to save. It is cursed. What God is trying to save is the inner man that is in you. Look at 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16. This is what it reads. Therefore, we do not lose heart, even though our outward man is what? Perishing. Yet the inward man is being renewed day by day. The curse will remain on these bodies even if God chooses to heal your disease or your sickness, whatever it is today. Listen, the body is still going to die. The body is still going to grow old even if you have, have so many stents put in your heart. One day, the heart will fail. One day. And God meant for that to be that way, so that you didn't put no trust in anything this world, especially not your own body. He means for it to fail. He means for the outward man to perish, but He means for the inward man to be renewed. He means for new life to come on inside of you, and it was renewed day by day by looking at Jesus Christ and modeling your life after everything that He is. This is why the curse remains until the world is ended. God will make all things new, even your body, okay? But not yet. Just because you receive Jesus don't mean you got the new body today. You remember what it said in Romans 8, 18. It said, the sufferings of this world are not worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us on that day. So when will the curse be removed was my third question. Look again at um, Romans chapter 8. Let's see when the curse will be removed. First off, back in verse 18 again. I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. If the curse from creation is going to be removed when the sons of God are revealed then when is the curse going to be removed for us? When does the revealing of the sons of God take place? When Jesus comes back. 
His second coming. Not His first coming. His second coming is when the sons of God will be revealed, when our glory that He has for us shall be revealed in us. That is when the curse will be removed. Keep reading with me in verse 20. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of Him who subjected it in hope, because the creation itself also will be delivered from the bondage of corruption into the glorious liberty of the children of God. For we know that the whole creation groans and labors with birth pangs together until now. It has its groaning. The trees outside, every spring, every fall, the grass that grows up and it dies in the winter, our bodies that ache and, 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 and get diseased and sick, everything groans waiting on the time when the birth takes place, when Jesus comes back and gives us the fullness of the new life. We only have the first fruit of it right now. That's it. You don't have the fullness of it. He has given you His Spirit, which is the first fruit of this new life. So sickness, disease, and all these things are still going to be there, but in it we groan and labor with birth pangs together until now. And then look at the next verse, 23. Not only that, but we also, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, even we ourselves, groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting for the adoption, the redemption of our body. We're waiting on this. It has not come yet, but we look for it in hope. That's why I sing, I got a mansion. It's not in my possession yet, Ronnie. It's just over the hilltop. It's in that bright land where I'll never grow old. That's why I sing, won't it be wonderful there? Having no more burdens to bear over there. Not here. Burdens are still here. Sickness is still here. Death is still here. Sorrow is still here. Cancer is still here. Heart attacks are still here. But over there, I hope for the place that none of that can enter in ever again. Do you see what I, where I'm going right here? Keep on going with me. In verse 24, For we were saved in this hope. We were saved in this hope. By trusting in God to give us new life and give us a new place where none of these things exist. By looking to Him for the answer, we were saved by faith in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. He says, why does one still hope for what he sees? If you had it in your possession right now, you wouldn't hope for it. You'd be sitting up in your new life, in your new body right now in this corrupted world. He said, no, that can't be. He says, why does one still hope for what he sees? And then look at verse 25. But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. We're waiting on the day when He comes again to deliver this redemption, the fullness of this redemption to us. When we have a new body, when we have a new mind, when we have a new heart, when all things, even creation, new heaven, new earth, new sea, new everything, everything is made new, but not yet. Not yet. We wait for it in hope. My next question, basically, the first coming of Jesus Christ was 
not to give us the full redemption. The first coming of Jesus Christ was to pay for the full redemption. The first coming of Jesus Christ was to purchase the redemption and then to give us a foretaste of what this redemption will actually be like. He didn't come here to remove all sickness from the bodies. So many preachers mistake the, the Scripture that says, by His stripes we are healed. Absolutely. Absolutely true. By His stripes we are healed. But many preachers will stand up here today and they'll pray for you and if you aren't healed within the next few hours or the next week, they'll stand and say, well, somebody didn't have faith. Give me a break. No. Absolutely not. Yes. Absolutely. God sees true faith and in accordance to His will, He delivers absolutely as you ask, according to true faith. But just because one person out there does not believe does not mean that your prayer is not going to be answered. How many people watched Jesus and what He was doing and didn't believe? only place He was hindered from it was in His hometown where none of them believed. That was it. All He needed was one person with faith. That's it. One person with faith and He could accomplish anything He wanted to accomplish according to His will. What results of the redemption will we see here and now before Christ comes was my next question. If we don't have the full redemption, if all we have is the first fruits, and I get that from Romans 8 verse 23. Look at what he said. He said, first off, we all groan and labor together with birth pains. But then in verse 23, not only that, but we also who have the first fruits of the spirits, even we ourselves groan within ourselves, eagerly waiting the adoption, the redemption of our bodies. He said, we don't have the full redemption of our body yet. We only have the first fruit of the spirit. I want you to think about the ministry of Christ while he was here. Look at Matthew chapter 11, verse 4 and 6. And I want to show you what some of the first fruits of this redemption look like. Matthew chapter 11, verses 4 through 6. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell the things which you hear and see. Verse 5. The blind see and the lame walk. The lepers are cleansed. The deaf hear, the dead are raised, and the poor have the gospel preached to them. Verse 6. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Here are the first fruits of what you see. Remember, Jesus did not come to give you the full redemption. If you did, when he healed the, the disease, they would never be a disease ever again. If he did, when he brought Lazarus back from the dead, he wouldn't have told them, you're going to die again. He came to give the first fruits of the full redemption. And here's what it looked like. The dead were raised. The sick were healed. But let me ask you a question. How many tombs do you think Jesus walked by in his ministry? How many did he call up from the dead? Did he, did he raise everybody from the dead? You know why? It wasn't time for the full redemption. It was time for the first fruits. How many sick people did Jesus come by? Did he heal every single one of them? Why not? It wasn't time for the full redemption. It was time for the first fruits of it. 
How many people did he walk by and have compassion on? But was he able to deliver every single one of them from every ailment that they had? You know why? It wasn't time. We had the first fruits of it. Jesus came. His first coming was to purchase the redemption by dying on the cross for our sins. The second part of this redemption was to give us the first fruits of it by leaving the Spirit with us. The Holy Spirit now gives us the power. And now we have the duty to display the first fruits of it as well. He said, now you go out, raise the dead. Absolutely. Some dead will be raised today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Diseases will be healed today. Absolutely. Absolutely. Compassion will be delivered to many people with all types of ailments, but not everyone will be delivered. I want you to think about the Apostle Paul. Look with me at the book of 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Second Corinthians chapter 12. I'm going to read verse 7 through 10. This is what it reads. And lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations. Basically what Paul is saying is this. God had shown him so much spiritual stuff God had shown him revelations like nobody had ever seen. God had shown Paul, he brought him up to a certain level of heaven. He saw things that he couldn't even speak about. They were so glorious. But he says, lest I should be exalted above measure by the abundance of the revelations that I've seen, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, lest I be exalted above measure. Look at verse 8. Concerning this thing, I pleaded with the Lord three times that it might depart from me. Verse 9. And he said to me, here's what God said. Remember, remember now, before I read this, Paul was the one that when he touched handkerchiefs, what happened to people who touched them handkerchiefs? They were healed. But yet Paul says, I besought the Lord three times. God, remove this ailment from me. Remove this suffering from me. And look what he said. He said to me, My grace is sufficient for you. For my strength is made perfect in your weakness. He says, Therefore, most gladly, I will rather boast in my infirmities that the power of Christ may rest upon me. Verse 10. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities... <laughs> I take pleasure in reproaches, in needs, in persecutions, in distresses. For Christ's sake, when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me tell you, God's purpose for us in this age is not to rid these bodies of cancers and heart attacks and disease. Will He do it? Absolutely. God's purpose in this age is not to deliver us so that these bodies don't age anymore, so that these bodies don't ache anymore. God's purpose in this age is to remove the remnants of sin that do not belong in our life. 
God's purpose is not to stop the outward man from perishing, but God's purpose is to keep the inward man growing. Do you see this? Sometimes it takes a thorn in the flesh for us to be able to continue growing. I want you to think about Job in the situation that he was in. He could not understand for the life of him why God would allow a man such as him to go through the trials and sufferings that he was having to go through. The, the skin was falling off of him, turning black and just falling off. He sat in dust and ashes wailing. When his three friends saw him, they didn't even recognize him. They tore their garments from a long ways back and cried out to God for their friend Job that they saw. Job couldn't understand. But then, after God finally showed Job how weak he was, and he showed Job how strong he is, at the end of this thing, Job finally stepped up and said, I know, God, that no purpose of yours can be withheld from you. I know you're in full control, and I know that everything you do is going to be for my good. I've spoken out of stupidity, out of things that I do not understand. And God, I say today that I trust you. No matter how tough my pain is, no matter how hard it is for me to endure the sufferings, this is why Paul could say, I consider that the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory which shall be revealed in us in that day. You know, I just want to take a look for just a second at what kind of sufferings Paul might have went through. Look up at... 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Tim, I didn't give you this one. I just, I'm going to read it. 2 Corinthians chapter 11, beginning in verse 23. Listen to what Paul said. Let's see what kind of sufferings Paul was talking about are not worthy to be compared. He said, Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. In labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequently, in deaths more often. From the Jews, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. When was the last time any of you children received 39 stripes on your backside for anything you've done? He said, five times I received 40 stripes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I have been in the deep. In journeys often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils of my own countrymen, in perils of the Gentiles, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and toll, in sleeplessness often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness. Besides the other things, what comes upon me daily. <laughs> and yet Paul said, I consider that the sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared. You think you've got problems? The sufferings of this world are not even worthy to be compared to the glory that's going to be revealed in us in that day. This is the reason why Paul, and I'm closing right here. Go with me to Romans chapter 8 again, verse 28. I'll finish the second half up of this thing next week. This is the reason why Paul could say in Romans chapter 8, verse 28, 
and we know. How you know something? You've got to learn it, don't you? Paul said, we know. We know that all things work together for good to those who love God. Paul said, I know that when I'm getting beat by rods, when I'm receiving five times of 39 stripes, when I'm in perils of robbers and wilderness in the city of my own countrymen, of false brethren, when I'm in perils of all kinds of wickedness, on a daily basis I suffer these things, I still know that all things work together for good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose. It's all about His will. It's all about His plan. Let me remind you, God sees the big picture. We look at our sufferings, we look at our diseases, we look at our trials and we say, there's no way possible that God could have anything good in this. You want to bet? Go back and read your Bible in the Old Testament. Go back and look at what Job suffered. The death of seven sons and three daughters in one day. Been there yet? He said, listen, I know that God is for me. I know that no matter what God gives or what God takes away, He is blessed because He is for my good and not for my evil. It is vitally important that you recognize this lesson this morning. It is vitally important that when suffering comes your way, you draw closer to God and not push Him away. It is vitally important that you understand that the sufferings of this world are only temporary. There is a full redemption that is coming. We have the first fruits of it right now and we will see people healed. We will see dead raised. We will see many things take place, but not everyone and not forever because this body cannot inherit the kingdom of God. It must put on immortality. And when this mortal has put on immortality, when this corruptible has put on incorruptible, that is when the saying is revealed, this come to pass that says, death has been swallowed up in victory. It ain't been swallowed up in victory yet. But the full redemption is coming. Y'all stand. I simply asked the question this morning. In all of your trials and all of your tribulations, have you been able to say, God, I fully trust you? Or has there been a part of you that said, God, you can't have no purpose in this and this ain't right? Have you been like Job and took it in stride to say, the Lord giveth? And the Lord taketh away. But blessed be the name of the Lord. Have you been like Job whenever his wife told him to curse God and die and he looked back and said, you speak foolishness. You speak foolishness, woman. Shall we receive good from the hand of God and not receive evil? Even Job declared that the, that the evil that came to him was from God. It was delivered by the hand of Satan, but it was from God. I say to you this morning, trust God. 
Trust him completely and proclaim to him that in the midst of your trial, God, I know that you are completely sovereign. And I trust you in whatever you decide to do as we sing.